0: Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Mark Donadue. Mark has had extensive experience researching vegan health and the environmental impacts of a plant-based diet. He regularly presents talks on behalf of Vegetarian Victoria. As well as being president of Vegetarian Victoria, Mark is a founder and director for World Vegan Day Melbourne. He has spoken at many major events around the country. He has been on television, radio, and truly all over talking about vegan health and the environment. Here we go. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? By now, you all know that therapy is an important part of my own self-care, It has truly been a game changer in every aspect of my life, including achieving goals. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy platform worldwide. They are changing the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to a licensed therapist. BetterHelp makes professional therapy available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. You can start communicating within 48 hours it's not a crisis line it's not self-help it is professional therapy done securely online and i have a special offer for consciously clueless listeners visit betterhelp.com carly and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional by using this code you get 10 percent off your first month That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-A-R-L-Y. Take care of yourself today. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you again for joining me. Um, We worked really hard to make this work, so I appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, you staying up late to be on the podcast. Are you normally a night owl or is this a special
1: occasion so you can- Well, well look, I, I have to admit, I uh, am used to burning the midnight oil on, uh, on different occasions. Uh, you know, I'm trying to cram so many things in, so uh, sometimes that's the only way. And uh, But you know, I, I think that if you're on a healthy diet, you can actually go with a lot less sleep than you actually need. So, uh, you know, and I'm certainly putting that uh, to the test one too many times, I think. But anyway, uh, it's all part of uh, the, the life experience.
0: Yeah. When you, um, said in the, our email exchanges that, yeah, it would be about 1130 midnight, my time, that's fine. And I was like, okay, that's two and a half (laughs) hours past my bedtime, but if that's good for you, (laughs) that works out great. Um, so you came highly recommended Claire Mann could not, um, recommend you enough for the podcast. I've talked to her twice and, she thought that we should connect, so a, a huge shout out to her for kind of putting us in touch. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah, well, Claire does a lot of really great work, and uh, she's been uh, been very active in the vegan scene for so many years and uh, been supporting the cause. So uh, yeah, I'm very honored that, uh, that Claire thinks uh, that highly of me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start there. You started World Vegan Day in Melbourne, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, back in two thousand and three, there was uh, myself and uh, and uh, Megan Street and Mark Olson, we uh, decided that we were going to start uh, World Vegan Day, and um, the reason was that at the time that there was a a couple of World Vegan Days in Europe that uh, that were being held, and that was to to mark a hundred oh sorry uh, fifty years since the creation of the word uh, 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 vegan and the the, the formation of the vegan society in 1944 they had their first 50 year celebration in 1994 and, and they had a world vegan day and then they they had other world vegan days throughout the years uh sporadically uh since then and uh it was something that wasn't really that popular worldwide but we thought that we would make it uh uh uh, almost a distinctively Australian kind of thing and, and make it our own and do it consistently. Because since then, very few places have actually uh, continued with World Vegan Day, but we've been very consistent in having that uh, from uh, 2003. And, uh, and as a result of that, you know, we uh, have, um, you know, uh, just got bigger and bigger uh, year on year. And, uh, and, you know, we've been really excited about that.
0: So in 2003, you wanted to create World Vegan Day. That means that you were already vegan at that point, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've been vegan now close to 25 years now. And, uh, you know, that was something that uh, uh, that I felt uh, passionate about. And, uh, uh, and at the time, it was a very rare thing, you know, to be vegan. And very few people understood what it was all about. And... we we kind of felt uh, very ostracized as vegans. And so it was really important to uh, basically band everyone together. And uh, we decided to advertise this uh, all around Melbourne and let people know about it. Um, We even had radio interviews. Um, We had uh, newspaper interviews. And, And a lot of people just couldn't believe, you know, that, uh, that there is such a thing, you know, that, that was a long time ago now, and uh, and and they uh, they thought that you know you, you're going to die of protein deficiency and <laughs> calcium deficiency, who knows what, you know, and uh, yeah. it was it was was kind of a, a very very. Uh, uh, interesting kind of a, a time you know where, where there was so much ignorance about veganism not like it is today when you know uh, not not a day really goes past where you know veganism isn't in the, the headline somewhere you know right. a, about something uh, but, but in those days it was very very rare and right. uh, we did we, we, we didn't have all the products that we have today in the supermarkets and, and so uh, it was breaking new ground and, and that's why we we did what we did is because we wanted to get the word vegan on the map we wanted to normalize the word and uh And, you know, we started from very humble beginnings. It was on the 1st of November um, in 2003 on a Saturday. And I'll never forget how cold and windy it was on that particular uh, time, just uh, opposite Albert Park Lake. And um, but we, we stood there and uh, uh, weathered the storm. And then the, the very next year we all got sunburned. It was 32 degrees Celsius. And uh, but, you know, we were being tested. And uh, but each year we were getting bigger and bigger. And uh, and we went from a few hundred to, to then a few thousand and then uh, wow. to about 20, 25,000, which is uh, when we had our very last uh, World Vegan Day, making one of the biggest uh, vegan events in the world.
0: 25,000 people. So people were traveling from all over the country, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, look, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, people did uh, come from interstate to see our our event and we've even had some overseas visitors uh, over the years as well, you know, uh, visit um, because they've heard about how big it is and, you know, they wanted to check out uh, World Vegan Day Melbourne and, um, uh, and, you know, we'd really got this reputation of uh, putting on a really big uh, festival and, The thing about our our festival was different to most of the other vegan festivals and it just didn't focus just on uh, uh, the food and the different uh, vegan vendors uh, Mm -hmm. and and have uh, some speakers. But, you know, we we made it like a a total festival that we had. We had music, we had uh, cooking demonstrations, we had a kids area, an arts area, a fitness area, a fashion area. Um, so many different uh, you I know, mean, aspects to the veganism, you know, all uh, on display. We even had an um, Australian indigenous uh, section focusing on the the uh, the vegan component of, of their diet. Um, all, all these different uh, aspects, even the vegan paleo area, can you believe you know, that we had? Because yes, uh, the, the original paleolithic human beings, when they they analyze the the I think, called the um paleo poop uh where they were, it's fossilized and, they, and it was all plant fiber no meat or dairy or, or, or any or eggs to be seen um and then they uh and, and they analyzed it it was a very very high fiber diet so we, we educated the, the people about that as well so it was an educational uh event as well as uh, a, a festival and, and a celebration and so that's what made our event very different to most of the others that it, it, it encompasses all of these different facets. And uh, we tried to give people the ultimate vegan experience uh, on the one day.
0: Well, Australia has been on my list for a while, but maybe next World Vegan Day is when I (laughs) need to make the trip, because that sounds really amazing. I am gonna put a pin in the paleo thing, because I have a question on that, but I wanted to circle back first to, if you are planning this in 2003 and you've been vegan for a couple of years, how did you become vegan? What was that journey like for you?
1: Well, I started off as a vegetarian uh, for a, a number of years and, uh, I, I did a, a bit of reading and uh, and, and some of the, the famous people that I admired in history ended up being vegetarian, if not vegan, as it turned out, because the vegan wasn't really a word block, especially if you go back to the times of, say, Pythagoras or Plato, mm-hmm. um, you know, these, these people, which basically talked about effectively a vegan diet. And um, even Plato talked about how, you know, huge amounts of resources are needed, you know, in terms of how much water and food, you know, just to, to raise a, a cow under, and then he was saying, saying how that's ridiculous. You know, you could use that land and resources for feeding people, and you can feed a lot more. Beto said that. Yeah, this is 2,500 years ago, yeah. Um, Pythagoras, you know, not only was he... an Advocate of a um, plant based diet, and in fact, the word Pythagorean was actually almost a synonym for, for the word you know, plant based, you know, for, for so many years, yeah. And, and he even chastised one of his wrestlers because he was also an undefeated Olympic wrestler. In the and and <laughs> uh, in, 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 that's right, so he was well, that's right. Dolly was a, a famous mathematician, as most people know, and he was a musician, a philosopher. Um, and also an undefeated Olympic wrestler. I uh, mean, you know, to talk about a resume. I did not know.
0: learn that in my math class <laughs> when I was doing the Pythagorean
1: no. theorem. <laughs> no, I didn't learn that either. Uh, funny enough, and uh, and they certainly didn't say that he was vegan, uh, but. Um, but but anyway, um, he actually uh, uh, was on the record of, of chastising one of his uh, wrestlers and he was uh, saying that he was uh, as a bit overweight and slow because he wasn't on a plant-based diet and he was having too much meat. So this was, to, again, uh, 2,500 years ago. And and so, you know, when you read stories like this and, and you know, people like uh, Mahatma Gandhi and, you know, Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton and all, all these famous luminaries in history, Nikola Tesla, and you, you, really, uh, you know, learned that they were on plant-based diets. Uh, you know, and I thought, well, okay, this, so this makes sense, you know, and then you re- read the reasons why they, they did that. And so I decided to become vegetarian, but then I decided um, after a while that being vegetarian wasn't enough because uh, uh, I met some vegans in, in the course of uh, my journey and they they said, oh, you're you just vegetarian. I go, what do you mean? I'm just vegetarian. I say, yeah, well, you know, you're only doing half the job, if that. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, why are you vegetarian? Well, to avoid animal cruelty. Well, do you know the amount of animal cruelty in the dairy industry? Did you know it's actually worse than uh, the meat industry? really? And, uh, yeah, you, you, you have me on. I go, yeah, of course it is. You know, um, with with your, your regular uh, cattle, um, yeah. they're usually just grazing. And then on their very last day, they have a, a traumatic experience where they, they get slaughtered and they watch all their friends being slaughtered. And then that's horrific. And they go, yeah, that's why I'm vegetarian. Yeah, but what about a dairy cow? They're, they're tortured from, from day one. They're milked against their will. That They get mastitis, the inflammation of the teats. They get their baby taken away from them. Nothing more traumatic for a mother than Those that. Those videos like, baby are...
0: Like oh, yeah. the videos of the of of cows being taken from their mothers. Just like it, if that doesn't make you feel terrible, oh.
1: Absolutely, and and look, you know, I had uh, like a lot of people selective amnesia when it comes of or, or being hypnotized to to avoid these issues, and you know when it was brought, you know, right uh, to my awareness, so I couldn't sort of un- unlearn or unsee that,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: thought, well, you know, I'd be a hypocrite to continue, especially right. trying trying to say that I'm doing it for the saving animals when mm-hmm. I'm involved in. Uh, you know supporting the dairy industry and same with the egg industry the way that they they treat chickens you know in, in egg production is, is horrific to say the least and they, they kill the baby male chicks and they uh, macerate them alive they, they gas them they do all sorts of horrible things um, and uh, there's another industry which is uh, more cruel than just the regular meat industry yeah. and so so from that point of view alone it was it was a reason that, to go vegan and then the, the, all the other arguments apply equally as well like uh, the health argument well you know in terms of uh, saturated fat in the diet well dairy is the biggest contributor of that and you know, when you talk about inflammation heart disease and diabetes well you know dairy is, is linked with all those uh, prostate cancer breast cancer and then you've got environmental issues um, same i mean you know the These other animal industries uh, use so many resources that could be used far more efficiently to feed people, um, Mm. you know, directly, yeah, instead of indirectly by by feeding animals. And and so, uh, once I knew this, uh, the decision to become vegan became very, very clear.
0: So, did it feel? I've talked to quite a few guests about this, and I know that it's been true for my own journey into veganism that it was kind of that domino effect. So, kind of started with one place. Like for me, it was health. I found out I was lactose intolerant. And, you know, as most of us are and kind of just dominoed from there and went, okay, it's health. Oh, the environment. Oh, animals and all these other things. Is that kind of how it felt for you? Like it was just the dominoes kept falling?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was interesting The the diet that happened to be the most ethical, the one that caused the least suffering happened to be the healthiest and happened to be the most environmental. And it was just like one bonus after another, after another, and um, and, and it was quite incredible, you know, that how, how it all came into place. And, and it's almost like when you do the right thing, then it, it tends to manifest in, in every area. And uh, yeah, uh, and you know, I, it was, became a revelation really, you know, when I became vegan, just what a difference it was making. And, and that's one of the reasons I was passionate about starting World Vegan Day spreading the the message about that and then educating other people as well and uh, um and you know i would do con- uh, continually talks on health and nutrition um for example environmental talks you know talk about the animal industries uh wherever i could and you know was part of the activism we did i was also president of vegetarian victoria and we would have um, many events where we would have stores ourselves and we would interface with the public and uh, give out uh, brochures that we'd written and uh, engage uh, the public asking them, you know, questions about their diet and and uh, and, and try to spark some interest. And, and I think you know we were able to have uh, you know, quite a big influence in um, in changing the, the landscape in, in Melbourne uh, over many uh, over quite a few decades. And uh, you know, to the point where we had one of the biggest vegan festivals in the world, you know, in, in our city.
0: So is that what you are continuing to do since then? Your activism kind of started then, and then it just continued on in terms of. Hmm. giving talks about the environment or health or whatever it is, is that, is that work that you're still doing?
1: Yeah, look at i mean obviously uh it was impacted a little bit with this uh with COVID, uh and uh you know lockdowns and you know the the inability to be able to, to have events um right. yeah that, but but you know uh the last event that we did was in 2019 yeah. but uh you know we still you know uh are active you know giving out information and uh, and supporting the vegan community and you know, that's something that i'm always passionate about
0: So I wanted to circle back to the paleo thing, because I think it's so interesting to talk about, um, particularly in the last few years, the paleo diet and the keto diet really took off. Can we talk a little bit about that? Maybe debunk and Uh, like, just please, (laughs) I would would love to just kind of go through those things because I think that it's um, really interesting.
1: Yeah, look, um, the, the keto diet uh, really took off, say, about 10 years ago, you know, when people kept uh, saying, oh, we need to eat like the caveman and uh, get back to basics, and and then th- that's the healthiest diet. Um, so, well, first of all, the, the premise with that uh, is kind of shaky to start with, because th- there's a lot of things that that uh, maybe caveman were doing that we probably don't want to emulate now. There's a lot of killing and and murder and all sorts of other things that, uh, a lot of uncivilized behavior that probably we wouldn't uh, uh, necessarily want to emulate. So just because caveman did it it doesn't by default mean that that's the smartest thing to do. And- uh, and, and, I know
0: you're not making (laughs) a joke, but when you say it like that, it seems so obvious that you're like, yeah, maybe it wouldn't be the thing to copy.
1: No. And uh, especially when they, they actually say, and most of the, the uh, historians, you know, you know, the, the, uh, also talk about how their, their lifespan wasn't very uh, long either. It was people wouldn't live to any more than about you know twenty five or thirty years. So, so really, it's all the reasons why you wouldn't want to emulate a particular uh, population or, or or a group. Um, uh, so you know, to me, that that's uh, it's a really bad foundation to start with anyway. But uh, if you did think that that is our natural diet, and whatever the caveman were eating, well, then we need to actually look at the evidence. And, uh, and we're Professor,
0: talking about paleo or keto, right?
1: Paleo. Uh, okay, so we're looking paleolithic human beings. Okay, and paleo diet. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're starting with that one. So, so really, um, there's a lot of lot of talk about paleo diets, but there's very very few people that have actually looked at the evidence or looked at it okay. properly. And and when you you look at the evidence. Um, it's quite interesting because uh, there's uh, a, a famous uh, um, uh, uh, historian and a, um, a, a person that's actually looked in, into ancient diets, and uh, his name is uh, Nathaniel uh, Dominic and uh, and he's one of the the most. Uh, uh, well-known uh, paleontologist, as a matter of fact. And he found that uh, by looking at some of the, the oldest records, um, uh, fossil records in particular, of uh, different uh, human beings going back as far as our recorded history uh, can show, He found some interesting things. Um, I think in Mozambique, about 105,000 years ago, uh, they had, um, there was Neanderthal man, uh, and they found when they looked at their teeth that they had sorghum grass seeds, they had uh, some fruits and berries, um, but no meat or animal foods to be found at all. Uh, They looked at uh, Java man, Peking man in uh, Indonesia and in those Asian areas uh, going back 20 to 30,000 years ago. Um, again, found fruits, berries, nuts, seeds, right. grains. Uh, no, no meat or, or, or dairy there either. Um, and then, uh, even even more recent population, twelve thousand years ago, that there they found examples of agriculture and eating a lot of tubers and root vegetables and things. But again, no, no, no real signs of meat. They they looked at the tools that they were using, and they they weren't tools that. Um, um, that, that you would associate with killing of meat, they, they, they were basically grinding tools and things for for grinding uh, seeds and grains and things like Greens. this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and when they looked at the teeth in particular, and uh, they looked under the microscope as to see what was embedded in there again, that there was so many uh, seeds and nuts and, and, and fruits uh, and, and no no meat there. So um, uh, Nathal Dominey basically said that uh, yeah, the ancient human beings and the Paleolithic human beings were in fact plant eaters. That right. then they also looked at the, uh, the fossilized uh, poop uh, of uh, uh the the uh the, these ancient people and again they found the same thing and and one of the the most staggering things was the huge amount of fiber it was something like about 10 to 20 times the amount of fiber of what we're eating today oh, wow and uh, it was huge amounts and and that there was greater percentages of all vitamins and minerals and, and a way in greater excess than what we're consuming today. Again, more evidence that we were plant eaters. So so the evidence has actually shown that we're plant eaters, uh, even though there's a lot of people that talk about paleo diets and they automatically assume that that meant eating a lot of meat, and yet it didn't prove to be the case at all.
0: And that's not only assumed, but that's kind of what the fad of the paleo diet has become, right? It Based yeah. on not the paleolithic people is what you're yeah. saying.
1: Absolutely, and and you know, and some of the things that they exclude, uh, for example, like um, some grains and some beans. Well, there's evidence that the 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 most ancient human beings were actually eating them anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, and and not only that, there's some evidence that they were even uh, using agriculture far far earlier than what we thought as well. So, so it really puts the whole, the whole uh, subject you know, uh, under the spotlight. And, and it's very questionable, some of these people that have kind of hijacked that whole paleo movement uh, to make it almost like a, uh, an endorsement for eating meat. Um, it, it really puts that into question because it didn't uh, appear that that was the case at all, I'm not looking at the evidence anyway.
0: So wh- how did that get hijacked then? Where did that change along the way into this kind of like marketing <laughs> of a different type of diet?
1: Well, you, you, you've got to realise that um, uh, some of the biggest industries uh, in the planet are, um, are uh, the industries that support animal agriculture. You know, right. for example, um, I remember even going back to to about the time of World Eggner. I think almost the same year in two thousand three, there was a film called Super Size Me, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you remember that one. And um, yeah. and and, and well, one of the things that they showed in that, and they said that uh, in the in the same year that the Fruit and Vegetable Association spent their biggest. Uh, amount of money on advertising which was something like about uh, two million dollars worldwide on their five fruit and veg a day campaign in the same year mcdonald's alone spent 1.2 billion dollars in advertising that's just mcdonald's that's not including burger king kfc and the rest of them and that was
0: 2003
1: that's right that was ages ago and um, so you can imagine how things are multiplied since then so right. the, the the amount of resources and the marketing that these industries have is phenomenal and they'll try every angle um keto right. is a, the latest one you know uh where they're, they're they're promoting so and and there's there's always an angle you know a lot of this um this kind of meat-based diet uh, fads uh, it's not new that they started back in 1972 with uh, the Atkins diet. Robert Atkins um, yeah. was a cardiologist in in certainly um, Did he have it, a heart it, attack? Well, he did, and he was he was about 120 kilos or something, which is massively, you know, well over 200 and something pounds, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, when he when he died. And they said, "Geez, you're you're awfully fat for a, a, a an expert on on uh, yeah. diets." And 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 he said, "Oh, I'm a bit bloated." Well, I don't know about you, but 120 okay. kilos, it's more than a bit bloated. I've got to say. But uh, but anyway, that, that's always a red flag that you know the diet not isn't going well. And you know, uh, and it's funny because the doctor uh, John McDougall, um, mm-hmm. one of the, the pioneers in the, in the vegan uh, uh, health movement, he basically uh, did a, a video on that, and he looked at all of the the experts that are promoting meat-based diets and he looked at their size and, com- and he compared them to, to the uh, some of the ones on, on vegan diets and you can see that you know it was very very distinctly different you know that uh, that many of these people are dr john mcdouble uh, kept their natural weight you know for decades and uh, you know becoming uh, older did not necessarily mean you become you know uh, more and more uh, um Uh, overweight and yet with many of these others like Robert Atkins and so many of these other ones you know people promoting the zone diet and all of these um yeah, even the uh, Cobain, the 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 guy that promoted the the paleo diet, he had to use a picture from twenty years earlier, you know, on his on his diet book because, uh, yeah, he he's kind of ballooned out as well. So, you know, obviously eating those sort of diets didn't actually achieve the results that uh, a lot of these these people, um, you know, will claim that they were going to achieve. You know, Western Price Foundation, you know, Sally Fallon, and, and and it just goes on and on. You know, they tell you about how harmful the, the carbs are, and they go, oh, they're going to put on weight and all this sort of stuff. The same with the guy with the grain brain and all this but the evidence doesn't support that the more plant, the more carbohydrates you have in the diet the, the 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 better your bmi and in fact when they they look the united states which is known as being the most obese country in the world um the only group that has a natural body mass index uh, uh that is under the limit of 25 which is for the healthy bmi is the vegan group it's the only one and they've got an average uh, bmi of about 23.1 the vegetarians, I think, are about 25.9. Uh, fish, paleo, uh, sorry, um, the pescatarians, rather, they, they were about uh, 27. Um, and then uh, meat eaters, you know, are around about 29.5. So, um, and that's what the evidence actually shows. And so, you know, these people promoting these meat-based diets, um, even though they've been promoting for a long time, they... Um, they haven't been achieving the results that they wanted. So it started with the Atkins diet, which we found later found out that was funded largely by cattle farmers and some of the, the big um, uh, industries that support the, uh, uh, you know, the, the production and the consumption of animal products. And um, and then, you know, a lot of this is transferred into the paleo area. And now with the keto diet, we, we have something very similar. And yeah, I'd and love keto, to talk
0: about that a little bit because that one I think is at least in circles I've seen is persisting as popular still.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting one because here instead of uh, basically just saying high uh, protein and, um, and low carb, like the, the Atkins diet here, it's basically saying high fat and low carb. So, okay so what what are they what's their claim to fame their claim to fame is that by doing that that you are going to to lose weight you're going to in theory get into a process called uh, ketogenesis and then you are going to burn your your fat uh, reserves that that's what the theory is what actually happens is something very different you see what happened when we get carbohydrates one of the things that we do is that we produce glycogen and glycogen is like our energy reserves and in fact a lot a lot of athletes you know they will carb load say before a, a sporting event for that exact reason because they want to build a glycogen store so that when they're performing uh, they can uh, draw on that and then they, they have uh, prolonged energy yeah. now with, with every gram of glycogen that the body stores when you're eating carbohydrates you also store two grams of water So what happens is when you go into uh, ketogenesis and you're depriving the body of carbohydrates, you're losing this store of of uh, glycogen you're losing that but you're also losing and uh, uh, for every gram of that you lose two grams of water so you're losing glycogen and water that's what you're mostly losing and so that you get a very dramatic drop on the scale so you think yeah. wow i'm losing all of this weight but you're not actually losing fat and in fact they've done studies multiple studies on this and they find those on a high carb low fat diet lose more fat and that's what you want because once you get off the keto diet guess what that glycogen and water is all going to come back again I'm back but yeah, and and even more dramatic li, li than before, and the body then is going to be even more conservative in trying to to burn fat because it knows last time yeah, it did that you, you, almost, uh, um, you, you also, uh, almost you also were basically uh, poisoning yourself or, or or starving yourself, and so the, the body will hang on to the fat a lot more than ever before so you don't lose that much fat in fact overall that i found that the the fat loss was was much higher on a high carb uh, low fat diet and that's why you don't see many uh, keto athletes do very well you see a lot of vegan athletes thriving you know see patrick but you know the strongest man in the world no one no athletes ever lifted 550 kilos over his head like he did with a yoke lift um and most athletes wouldn't try it because that's more than the crush strength of the spine when you're on a, um, a plant based diet like uh, Patrick Baboubian, the thing is, your blood flow is so good because you have so little cholesterol, you, uh, you don't have the opportunity to block all of those little um, blood vessels and capillaries that say are diffused to the spine. And, and that's how you get the, the, um, the blood and the, the nutrients you know, to that area. Um, and, and if you have that blocked with cholesterol like you would in an animal based diet, you're not going to have that core strength. And so, so he's got a, an unfair advantage, if you like, uh, because of his healthy diet. And then you, you have a at athletes like uh, Carl Lewis. You know, one won more uh, yeah. uh, track, uh, gold medals anyone in history um, track and field. And um, and he uh, also said that he's um, when he switched to a vegan diet, um, he found that in his 30s he was training harder than he could uh, in his 20s because his diet meant that it was low inflammatory. He could train more, recover quicker, and so his performances improved as he got older rather than. Than the other way around. Martina Navratilova won a grand slam only a few days short of her 50th birthday. Uh, again, she said that she wouldn't have been able to do that with her old diet. Um, it just goes on. Scott Jurek, ultra marathon runner. I mean, an incredible athlete. You can run you. A, the equivalent of like three marathons a day. Um, again, the plant based diet gives you.
0: <laughs> just a <that's> side note. <laughs> that's nuts to me. I remember <laughs> watching the Game Changers documentary and just oh. being like, oh God, I don't know why he's doing this.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the. the Yeah, you're so right. I mean, Game Changers was uh, was an incredible film, you know, Mm -hmm. and really bringing this to people's attention Um, because uh, you you always have this perception that you you need to be eating meat to be strong, and yet the opposite is actually true. You know, um, Kendall Ferris is the only man to represent uh, the US in, in the 2016 Olympics And he was a a vegan. Now, out of the thousands and thousands of um, meat-eating weightlifters that there are, none of them made the grade. It took the vegan to be able to to get there, again, for the same reason, because your your diet is so clean, uh, so you're getting blood flow to all of the the muscles, so you get more strength, you don't get the inflammation, you recover quicker, so you can train harder, uh, all those reasons. And uh, so, again, the vegan diet is an unfair advantage, you know, in that respect.
0: So I love... Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, so so basically, yeah, with with a keto diet, um, you're doing the opposite of what the body wants yeah and in fact uh, the reason you don't see many keto athletes is because you're actually once you stop um, getting uh, uh, burning the glycogen then the body starts cannibalizing its own muscle tissue and that's the last thing an athlete wants yeah, and uh, and you you lose a lot of muscle mass as well, and that's the big difference between a high carb, low fat diet and a high uh, fat, low carb diet. And so, and that the side effects of the keto diet are horrendous. The amount of uh, even kids that are going on keto diets having heart attacks, for example, unheard of. You know, with uh, with, with compared to other diets, um, uh, they're having so many other problems. You know, from a health uh, perspective, um, you know, they're, uh, they're they're having even arthritis, um, uh, breathing difficulties all sorts of issues you know on on this particular diet and um, uh, whereas a a plant-based diet a high carb low fat diet uh, has nothing but health benefits across the board
0: this podcast is supported by she thinks thinks are washable reusable period underwear they look and feel just like normal underwear but better Every pair of Thinks is made with their signature innovative technology for the ultimate period protection. Their breathable products are safely made with cotton, nylon, and elastin for a little stretch. I am seriously obsessed with my Thinx underwear. They have changed my periods. Try them yourself or get someone the best gift ever with a sweet little discount code. Go to SheThinks.com slash Carly for $10 off your order today. Again, that's SheThinks.com forward slash C-A-R-L-Y for $10 off your order. Try thinks today. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry, empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, this vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's carly L Y five zero for 50% off your first purchase at taraseed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. What I like about this conversation is that we're kind of busting some myths around food. And I think that it... It's, it's so interesting, but it's also really scary, the power of marketing in these industries to come out with a new book and say, this is the way to live and be healthy and look at the side effects that are happening for people like you just listed. That's pretty terrifying,
1: yeah, it is, and um, and and that's one of the things that most people don't know when it comes to, uh, to diets like the keto diet because they just, they just get the, the marketing, which only gives you one side of the uh, the, the story, and all they look at is just uh, instant weight loss. You know, they right. just look at the scales, but they don't look any further than that. And if they did, the, they would realize that the diet they're on uh, is the wrong diet. Uh, it it doesn't tick all of the other um, boxes. Like the first question you should be asking is, is your diet likely to prevent or worsen uh, our biggest killer which is heart disease
0: Well,
1: Mm. that should be the first question you should ask and if the answer is no then you shouldn't be on it and yet here's a diet that has been shown to increase uh, the rate of uh, people dying of heart disease so that's not, not a smart choice and not to mention all of the other issues, diabetes, long-term, it actually increases diabetes. Now, some people say, oh, in the short term, it might reduce the symptoms of diabetes because it's true that you don't have the sugars in your bloodstream, so you're not seeing the insulin spikes that a diabetic has. But what people don't realise is that that um, carbohydrate is not the cause of diabetes. Once you've got diabetes, yes, carbohydrates can inflame the problem right. if you have too many of them, but that's because of a problem that was created usually... Uh, due to too many animal products. Did you know that in 1979, Dr. Anderson at Kentucky University, uh, he took long-term diabetics, I'm saying people that have been diabetic for 20 years plus, uh, taking up to 32 shots of insulin a a day, and he put them on a whole foods plant-based diet, and within 15 days, half of the control group was off all insulin and diabetes medication altogether. And then later, a large percentage of them were basically cured of type two diabetes and the reason is because it's not the carbohydrates that cause diabetes it's animal fat because imagine that we have a, a, all we have billions of cells and in the the center of the cell is the power plant which is called the mitochondria it's it's actually a type of bacteria and it has a requirement for energy to to power the cell yep. and so it's it sends a signal to a hormone called insulin and it basically says that i have a requirement for glucose can you please bind with a glucose uh, uh, molecule and then when you do i will then uh, create an opening and then we can uh, usher in the glucose but when you have animal fat in your system it acts as a as a insulator so that communication doesn't get through so the cells are screaming out for energy um but the message isn't getting through the insulin has got plenty of glucose there in the bloodstream; and it's just full of it. I say, so, well, right. why, aren't, why aren't I uh, are being asked for it? And and so that's the problem. That's what animal fat does; it stops that communication. And that's why the uh, plant-based diet is so effective at reversing type two diabetes. And it's interesting because Dr. Anderson decided a few years later, and I think it was 1997, um, to to induce type two diabetes in a population that didn't have it. And, uh, and he said, that's okay, because I can reverse it as quickly as I started. But if you pay enough people money, um, they'll, 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 they'll do <laughs> oh <my> anything. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And and so anyway, he had two groups of people. One group, he he said, right, you're going to have a pound of sugar a day, uh, but I'll keep your calories of fat down to less than 10% of your, your, your calories. Um, the other group, um, I'll, you'll have no sugar at all. So no sugar, no, no honey, no artificial sweeteners, no... Uh, fruit juices and sweetener, nothing. Um, But your calories will be, uh, 60% of them will be in the the form of animal fat. We'll have a guess which group got the diabetes. It wasn't the one pound of sugar group, it was the high fat group for for that exact reason, because the fat clogged up the system and stopped this communication from the mitochondria to insulin, and so they became type two diabetics. But, uh, but he knew how to, to reverse it, uh, as he'd done in, in previous occasions, by then basically switching people back to a plant-based diet. So, um, so you know, that, that's what the evidence actually shows. Now, the ketogenic diet... Um, it worsens that diabetes problem. So, again, that's not a, a, a diet you want to amuline. And When it comes to cancers, my goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, you
1: know, you know, you know the, the relationship between IGF-1, insulin growth factor 1, and cancer. You see, IGF-1 is what causes a, 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 a calf to go from something really small to something really huge, you know, uh, within 18 months. Um, now, in humans, especially adult humans, well, there's nothing to grow. So the only thing they can grow are things like cancer. And so it makes no, no sense to, to be having, having that. And, uh, and generally IGF-1, not, not just in dairy products, it's in, it's in meat as well. And on top of that, you have uh, all of these uh, sulfur-based amino acids, um, you know, like sulfuric acid, and then and you, you, have, you also have nitric acid, you have um, um, uric acid, and all these acids also create an acid environment that can lead to cancers as well. Um, and, and so you've got a diet that also promotes cancer and uh, so that's that's not a good thing either in, in fact the world health organization even made a, a uh, an interesting claim that they, said, that they basically said that when it comes to, to lung cancer that meat was uh, uh, was greatly more uh, correlated uh, than smoking when it came to uh, causing lung cancer you know wow. and, in fa- and in fact and in fact they even uh, highlighted uh, heme iron from animal uh, food um, as being cancer promoting they even said that in part cancer is uh, partly a uh, ferrotoxic disease, a, d- a, a disease of too much iron toxicity, and um, and and heme iron is, is largely implicated on that. I and mean, this is what a lot of people don't realise. They think, you know, women in particular are told, "I oh, eat red meat to to have good iron levels," and and they're they're told this continuously. and Not only doesn't it work, it's actually detrimental, because and and. To, as proof of this, you, you, you ask anyone who, who's followed that, you know, did your iron levels improve? It, ne- it never does because what happens is when you're that acidic and toxic and, and you're, you're having this uh, heme iron, most of it goes to the liver where the body stores poisons and toxins anyway because it, it is actually so toxic to the body. The body has to produce iron through um, plant sources and, and it takes non-heme iron and converts it into heme iron as required. And if you want, want evidence of this, have a look at uh, studies they do with haemophiliacs. They took a group of haemophiliacs, which need daily blood transfusions, and they gave them 100 milliliters of wheatgrass, and what they found was that they needed 25% less blood per transfusion because the chlorophyll, which is the blood of the plant, is structurally identical to haemoglobin, which is uh, our our blood, except for the fact that um, the centre atom of magnesium. Uh, sorry, the centre atom of chlorophyll is magnesium, and hence uh, it gives the chlorophyll the green colour, whereas with haemoglobin, uh, the centre atom is iron, which gives it the red colour. Once you've got the structure in place, it's very easy for the body to then transfer the magnesium and, and put iron in there. And so it builds the blood. And that's ultimately what you want to see. You want to reverse anemia. You want to have good, healthy blood. And, uh, and that's what, you know, uh, plant foods actually do for you. And so, again, we've been given this myth that um, you need to eat red meat to to have good iron levels, and it's not the case, and the opposite's the case. And uh, we're also told, for example, that you need to have uh, calcium through uh, uh, milk in order to have strong bones and teeth. And yet the the, the nurse's study from Harvard University, tracking nurses for 13 years, showed that the group drinking two glasses of cow's milk or more um, had more bone bone fractures, more um, uh, hip fractures, uh, lower bone tensile strength than the group not drinking any milk at all. The Bantu in Africa, that consume one-tenth the dietary calcium that the average American or the average Australian, uh, they have some of the strongest bones in the world. Uh, they found gladiators in Turkey and they looked at their bone structure and then they found that they were, they were vegan because they, they had a, a high levels of strontium and low levels of, of different other uh, minerals. And, and then they said they had to be uh, vegan diets. They found they were the strongest bones that they ever tested. And so... You know all this this information we're told about you know having dairy products for strong bones is just simply not the case. The opposite is actually true, and uh, and then same with it, with this idea that meat uh, uh, and animal products equals protein. Well, that, that's right. that's laughable as well because every single plant food contains protein. In fact, protein. A, um, is a product of uh, photosynthesis. The only reason the lion gets protein is because the wildebeest or the zebra that it was eating was eating grass a little bit earlier, um, and uh, and that's where protein originally comes from. So again, you know, we've been given all of this uh, false information, and and people you know go on these diets like the keto and and, and uh, the paleo diet, thinking that they're doing the right thing because that's what the industry wants you to do, and uh, and and it's actually the evidence doesn't support that, and in fact it supports doing the, the complete opposite.
0: So I'm imagining let's, you know, someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, great. I want to be able to eat without being a professional nutritionalist. And I, um, I'm intrigued by this plant-based diet thing, but how do I know it's the right one? You're telling me that all these other diets were, you know, here we've busted the myth. How would you kind of respond to someone who's like, well, well, why that? Why, why is this the one?
1: Well, when you look at the evidence of uh, the body mass index, uh, say in the United States, and, and if you look right. in every country, you'll you'll get the same pattern. The only group that's consistently at the healthy weight um, and has the 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 average under a BMI of twenty five is the vegan group, right? All these other groups, um, they they don't uh, they don't meet that. So so clearly, long term. Um, that these diets that are focused on meat, they don't work. Um, and, and so the, the evidence is quite clear. Uh, and again, the, the, those that are promoting these uh, meat-based uh, sort of diets, uh, they're not getting their own results in their personal lives either, as we uh, are right. mentioning. Um, and yet the, the ones that are promoting the vegan diets, they are, you know, achieving those for decades on, on decade, not just for one or two years and going to a yo-yo diet, but rather consistently for, for 30, 40, 50 years, and, uh, and, and that's, that's the difference. So the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, when you look at the evidence, uh, you see that the, the vegan diets actually uh, do uh, exactly that. And now, there's, there's another interesting thing called obesogens. Now, it's been shown that uh, the more toxins that you actually have in the diet, uh, the more uh, the body produces fat cells to isolate those those toxins. Now, did you know that the biggest uh, source of, of toxins toxins in the diet is from animal foods and in fact most of the the world's antibiotics for example are given to factory farmed animals yeah. did you know that the chickens in particular are given massive amounts of antibiotics why because it kills a healthy gut bacteria and so that the toxins in their animal feed then uh instead of being eliminated it causes the body to produce more and more fat cells so they become fatter quicker and so that they can go to market with a heavier chicken and make more money can you believe this well it just and, makes my
0: stomach uh, hurt
1: well, yeah, absolutely, and, uh, and and you know, and and yet, and then people are wondering why there's so much antibiotic resistance and why people are becoming obese at greater levels. Mm. Yeah, and, and and you know, people think that it's just calories that that uh, are contributing to obesity. It's actually not the case. You know, you know that the total number of calories, and I think the last ten years in the United States has actually dropped um, by about ten percent, but. The animal consumption has actually increased by about the same amount and uh and so especially chicken whilst beef has come down and maybe uh pork and, uh, and lamb a little bit uh but you'll find that chicken consumption has gone through the roof and that in particular uh, explains why uh, as a nation the united states has become more and more obese e- even consuming less calories you, you know you know that they found that pregnant mothers when they have toxins in their in their diet then they're passing on through the the breast milk that they, their baby will be fatter having the same amount of calories as another mother who has a, a cleaner diet um so you know the the role of obesogens is also quite uh, quite pronounced and there's no more toxins that you'll find than in animal foods they are the biggest accumulators of heavy metal or fish in particular, the biggest uh, accumulators of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, industrial pollutants, flame retardants, etc. And fish meals have been given to chickens and now, now it's even been given to, to cows as well. Cows, who once upon a time were a vegetarian animal, are now the biggest ocean predator in the world. I mean, it's, just, it's insane what uh, is going on in these animal industries. And no wonder, you know, people are getting sick, you know, eating these things. So how can it not be having a, a detrimental effect?
0: Well, I think what the Game Changers, going back to that documentary, did such a good job at in a different way, maybe that people will hear differently. I think it was well done in that aspect to kind of um, maybe get at some of the like tough, you know, masculinity tropes. I think that was really helpful. Um, But what I really love that they did is show the connection between like doctors in the fifties and whatever, were recommending their favorite cigarette. (laughs) Like they were like only the finest of doctors smoke Marlboro or whatever. Like (laughs) it's not that long ago. So I think it was helpful for people that maybe are kind of confused. Like what, well, how can our whole food system be wrong to remember that? Like it wasn't that long ago that marketing was, you know, pushing cigarettes in a different way, just like now it's, eating meat
1: yeah look that's absolutely right that's a very good point and um and you know that the other thing is that um a lot of people uh, have a lot of faith in uh in in their doctors to give them good nutrition information uh and yet uh a lot of that uh, faith is ill-founded because you know that they did a, a survey doctors versus patients head to head and they published this in the american journal of clinical nutrition would you believe the patients outscored the doctors so the person in the street knows more than their doctor about health and nutrition. And, and it's funny because they, they asked the doctors, you know, why is it, you know, how, how is that even possible? And the, the answer was, well, you know, we only get like four hours of nutrition out of a seven-year medical course. And even then, it, it's uh, really, really basic kind of information. I think T. Colin Campbell um, mm-hmm. who uh, is, is famous for the china study um, um, his son was was uh, starting to be a doctor so he thought he'd, he'd go he'd tag along and have a look at the, the the this valuable four hours of nutrition information thinking this is going to be super concentrated you know with lots of references and extra reading to do and you know I'm not going to miss this for the world he turns up there, and and, and it was a lady from the I think it was in New York Times you know in, in the, the cuisine section and she she basically just said something like oh well everything in moderation yeah you don't want to eat too much fat you know and, and you know just um, and just watch what you eat. And, and that was it. That was basically, he could not believe, here's <laughs> a person with no a, a, a qualifications at all or in that area, hasn't even studied nutrition, basically given, given this uh, lecture to doctors uh, or to uh, student doctors on, on nutrition. And then instead of the valuable four hours, they only get four hours and you don't want to be wasting it on that. And sure enough, that's the contempt that they have for this subject. And because it's not in their uh, their interest financially to uh, promote that, and. Um and uh, the big industries, you know, the ones that uh, were able to to get their say, they're the ones that also determine, you know, with the, the American dietary guidelines and here in Australia, that the same um, around the world. And and these these big industries have so much clout, and um, no wonder, you know, doctors are confused, you know, when it comes to uh, health and nutrition. In fact, there was one study I saw that first year medical students did far better than seventh year medical students in a health and nutrition quiz because. You know, by the time that they had been indoctrinated with all of this you know, industry propaganda, uh, they ended up um, you know, knowing less about you know, the role of food uh, and, uh, and health. And, uh, and, and so that's the state we're in. So we, we can't rely on doctors for giving us health information. Um, we have to take that responsibility ourselves. And, uh, and these days, it's never been easier to educate ourselves because this information is readily available.
0: Yeah, and I think in that vein, educating ourselves and checking our resources, right? Like you said, the, the amount of money and power, like um, some of those studies that they, not to keep going back to the game changers, but it's in my brain now, um, that they showed kind of like the studies, I think it was about the nutrition of eating so many eggs. And you scroll to the bottom of that article and it was funded by the egg industry um, so just making sure that you're kind of looking at where that information is coming from, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you tend to find that so much of the, the, the research, uh, is funded by a lot of these, uh, these vested interests. And right. so you need, you need to have a look at that, um, you know, before making your, uh, your, your decisions and, and, and then you have a good balanced you know, view and, and when you, you have independent research. Have a look at that, and in fact, uh, that there was one peer, uh, peer-reviewed study, uh, which is a meta-analysis of uh, how industry-funded uh, research can uh, influence the outcome of the, the the results, and it was something like about a ninety percent correlation. So that when a particular industry is, is uh, sponsoring a study, it tends to give a favourable outcome, you know, to to that industry, right. and so. So, we have to be careful of that, and especially when when these industries are as powerful as they are and they're funding so much of the research. And in fact, uh, it's particularly the case with dairy research, where they, how uh, many occasions, you know, this is what they would do uh, to prove that dairy helps you lose weight, that they would have one control group where they would have almost an unlimited number of calories. Um, but they would um, uh, restrict the, the, the dairy to, to virtually nothing, and then, they, and then they would say, "Well, that group that didn't have dairy increased their weight." And then that, the dairy group, that they would have a small amount of dairy, but they would restrict the calories massively, so that group ended up losing weight in spite of the dairy. And then they would say, "Look, see, dairy makes you lose weight." I and mean, that's infuriating. Uh, yeah, it is, and, and that, that's an example of that kind of uh, research that. that that does occur. So you have to be uh, careful, you know, when you, you're looking at uh, this information.
0: So um, wow, to all of the information you just shared, (laughs) that's not the the right word, but I think that that's so um, helpful for people because the way we just talked about some of those different diets and everything. um, That's the kind of conversations I love having because it's, Really pushing some of what we have, you know, we see as um, what we should be doing and just really questioning that and questioning everything. Claire Mann, I think, is really good at uh, reminding me and pushing me to really question things. Um, So I I thank you for that. I have a few kind of fun bonus questions, um, but that's just kind of for uh, subscribers, uh, people. But before that, um, did you have anything you wanted to? share or anything I didn't give you space for yet?
1: Look, look the main thing um, that I think is important for most people is to do their own research when it comes to uh, health and nutrition. Um, you know, and there are a lot of good resources that uh, that you, you can draw upon. Um, when you're talking about just uh, health information, nutritionfacts.org um, is, is one website that, that's got a lot of uh, mm-hmm. that, that information. Um, there's, uh, there's books here I'd recommend like the China Study, for example, I think it's a great resource uh, and, and a good introduction uh, to, to know what a, a population like China, for example, uh, when it was studied uh, with 880 million people over a 30-year period, um, the difference that certain diets make when you look at certain provinces that, that have a lot of um, health issues and you tend to find that they're the ones eating the most animal products uh, and, and you look at the provinces not uh, eating animal products and, and they're almost devoid of these major illnesses. I, I think that that, that that's uh, that's important. And, and, and it's good looking at studies like that, like the blue zones, where you look at the long-living yeah. populations and the more plant uh diets uh, they are, you know, the, the longer that the, they, they tend to, to live. So, you know, I encourage people to, to look at that, that kind of information where you, you look at big numbers of people over a long period of time, and then you, you really get a really good idea of what's going on. And you become less likely to be fooled by just some latest study that, that is right. just trying to tip things in, uh, in, in the, the, the direction of a particular um, um, industry and a classic example of that, I remember, was this study that came out of it was about fifteen years ago, and it was published in the in the BBC, and and it basically said the vegetarian diets lead to heart disease, which I, I thought was laughable because if there's one. Um, a diet that you know is the best against heart disease, a plant-based one. So how on earth did they say that? Well, you know what they did is that they basically, first of all, they had the word vegetarian in there and, and as it turned out, that they had a group of, um, uh, three three groups of people that had vegetarians, vegans and meat eaters. Now, to be in the meat eating group uh, in this particular study, which was at Bristol University, um, you had to consume less than 8 grams of meat a day, which is virtually next to nothing as it turns out, and you had to be a member of a, a health group uh, uh, a club or, or a gym. And you also needed uh, to have a BMI of less than 25, uh, which most meat eaters are way over that. So you had a very, yeah. very selected group, which is totally non-representative. And that was your meat eating group. Now the vegetarian group and vegan group, all you had to do is just say on a survey, yes, I'm vegetarian. Or, yes, I'm vegan. Well, you, how many people do you know that they say they're vegan? And then and the next day you see them eating a, uh, you know, a, a hot dog or something and say, well, hang on, what, what, you know, what are you doing now? I only eat that once in a while. You know, when, when you just you just fill uh, a survey and you're not being monitored, um, yeah, that's not representative. And so, by by default, the 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 vegetarian and the vegan groups that they actually had were eating more animal protein, especially the vegetarian group, which which is the one that they use in the headline was actually eating more animal protein by default than the the meat eating group, which was eating less than eight grams of meat a day, which no meat eater really eats a, a, as little as that. You wouldn't bother. Um, right. And so and 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 they were selected so that they had a, a particular BMI that made them healthier anyway. And so of course in that group they were going to have less heart disease. And then that's that's how you distort the data. So so that's why. It's important to look beyond the headline and look at the the, uh, the the studies and who's funding it and how did they actually construct the the study. That's the the level of detail you need to go into. And if you do that, then then you'll understand what's really going on, who's telling the truth, and who's actually trying to distort the the truth. That's really.
0: Oops. Lost my mic there for a second. That is really, really good advice. And, um, and I think that sometimes that can feel overwhelming, but it, it's important to remember that that um, can make you feel empowered, kind of take some of your power back as a consumer, um, particularly with food.
1: Hmm. But most definitely. And, and once you, you have confidence that you are the best judge uh, for what's uh, best for you, um, then it does empower you and it empowers you in so many other areas. And then when you're, you're feeling good physically, then you can think well, you can work well and your whole life improves. So you know, I couldn't recommend it any anymore.
0: That's amazing. Where can people get a hold of you or kind of follow along with your journey if they want to after this?
1: Yeah, well, um, I have been involved with the World Vegan Day, as I mentioned. So, you know, we have a a, a website there, which is uh, worldveganday.org.au. And uh, we also have a little publication called uh, Eating Up the World, uh, which got the health benefits of being on a, a plant based diet. And uh, that's available online uh, readily as well. And um, and if anyone wants a copy, I can always uh, email it to them as well. Or I can email it to you, and then you can you can forward it on. Which yeah. is a sixteen-page booklet which uh, summarizes a lot of this uh, health information that uh, uh, that I've been talking about.
0: I would love to see that. That would be amazing. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If that's somewhere like Apple Podcasts, leave a review and you could be read on air as the review of the week. Looking for more podcast content, yoga videos, meditations, and all-around amazing community? Head over to patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and check out what's going on. And finally, if you are ready to make changes in your life, but don't really know where to begin, let's work together. Head over to consciouslycarly.com and we can start the process and get you happy. Until next time.